0: You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa.
1: Welcome to the sauna. James Pan just said 110 to 112 degrees heat index. I don't even like walking outside. It's just oppressive. I don't remember it quite being this bad. Well, actually, I do a few times. But anyway... To tell you and to tell everyone how hot it is is just redundant. And I'm sorry I even led with that because we all know it's hot. But anyway, it is Friday. It's the end of the SEC and media days. And um, you also got the British Open, which I have on my television right now. And I'm watching Harmon, the lefty. He's minus 10. He leads the Open, the British Open, by five shots over Tommy Fleetwood. I'm assuming that you're there in your little den. Downstairs, your man cave, if you will. Lars, you are watching the Open right now, aren't
2: you? Uh, I started watching the Open at about five o'clock this morning, and um, that's what I love, man. You just you wake up, you flip it on, and you got golf all day. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, it was it was a rough rough two days for. Uh, our man, Justin Thomas, uh, just uh, wasn't in the cards for him. He's going to be coming home, uh, not making the cut. A lot of big names are, are not making the cut. But Rory, he's right there. Um, his swing, as, as perfect as it was last week at the Scottish Open, it's just been a tick off. And his putting has been, I'd say, a little bit better than average but he finished strong today. Uh, after a few just terrible shots on 18, he hit a beautiful uh, uh, approach on the on the par five. Uh, that was a really difficult kind of flop shop flop shot from uh, deep deep in the rough, and got it to within like <laughs> six feet, and then uh, hit hit the six footer. So he's he's minus one. And, uh, I, I still think, you know, aside from the leader who is just playing out of his mind, I mean, I think right now he's, uh, six strokes better or seven strokes better on average than the rest of the field. And that, like, that never happens in a, in a, in a, in any sort of PGA golf tournament, especially Not the British time. Open. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, um, yeah, Brian Harmon, uh, a southpaw. Just, uh, he's 36 years old from Savannah, Georgia. Um, of course, it's a Georgia guy. Went to the University of Georgia and uh, he finished uh, uh, a six under today. And uh, at 10 under, he's got a, uh, as I'm seeing it, about a five shot lead over uh, Tommy Fleetwood, who is the course favorite. Uh, because he is from nearby and uh, the crowds are just going crazy for him. Jordan Spieth is playing really well uh, the, on the scoreboard I'm looking at. I may be a little bit behind, but uh, the score, through 14, he's one under today, three minus three overall. And, and that's what I mean. I think if, if – I think Harmon, I mean, just based on history – He's gonna come back to the pack, most likely in round three when he's playing in the last group. Uh, I think he'll come back, and I still the, the winning number may end up being I don't know. It depends on the weather, and it, it sound I thought the weather was supposed to be bad today, but it hasn't. It hasn't been too too terrible, other than uh, you know uh, gusty winds. Of course, you're always gonna have that. Uh, but it hasn't been, uh, you know, no rain conditions or anything like that. Um, but uh, but I do think Harmon will come back to the field. And so then you look at sort of everybody who's grouped at, at minus five, minus four, minus three. So Rory, uh, our guy, he's, he's, he's within striking distance at, at one under, uh, especially considering he did not play his best golf in rounds one and two, you know, he was just constantly scrambling. He didn't hit as many uh, fairways off the tee as he was hoping. But he just uh, was able to gut out, you know, two um, more than serviceable rounds. And he's he's still, he's, he's right there. And uh, again, I, I think the winning score will be somewhere around six or seven under, um, but uh, we'll we'll see. It will make for a really uh, fun weekend. But uh, like I said, it's, it's too bad that uh, Justin Thomas just uh, – he just couldn't get it going uh, for whatever reason. And uh, let's see. I see him. Where is JT? So McElroy finished, yeah, one under. Yeah. Uh, Boy, you really have to go way down. Scotty Scheffler, he's tied for 27th right now at, at even, number one player in the world. Um, keep going down. Ricky Fowler, he's at plus one through nine today. I think the cut's going to be plus two, so he, he's right right on the threshold of uh, not making the cut. Uh, just some notable names. Uh, DeChambeau, he's at plus two. So he's right on the cut line. Um, Let's see. Let's
1: get to the Uh, SEC for a minute. Well, hold on. I'm just trying to find –
2: did Justin Thomas, like, finish at, like, the the bottom? He finished at, like, 144. He did shoot even today, so he had a better round than yesterday.
1: Okay. Well, yesterday he was plus 11, wasn't he? You uh, see, yeah, yeah,
2: yes, he was even today. He was plus 11 yesterday. So, uh, nah, yeah, Justin is, uh, I'm sure he's on his private jet now, heading head to uh, Florida as we speak. Um, but, yeah, uh, we definitely need to uh, wrap up SEC media days. Uh, there's uh, what, you know, Matt and I both have our are, are, are takeaways. Uh, it's hard to really say that there's winners or losers, but in, in my mind, there were a couple. There was one coach in particular who I thought uh, can be declared sort of the unofficial winner of SEC Media he Days. Won media and,
1: Days? Do they yes. give an award for that?
2: Like, uh, uh, unofficially, I, I'm giving out the award for that. So right, but we're going to yeah.
1: do that. Let's get our first break out here. Mick Leslie okay. will join us at the bottom of the hour. Let's take our first break, and when we get back, We will assess a week of SEC media in Nashville, Tennessee. There are a lot of things. Uh, A very low number of first-team selections, preseason selections. They're playing Tuscaloosa. Uh, You don't see that very often, but they're all... LSU, Georgia, and Alabama, except for noted exception or two. Uh, When we get back, we'll dive into the SEC as uh, we're wrapping up a week on Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sensing union o Morgan.
3: Tide 100.9,
0: Tuscaloosa weather. Partially sunny with a chance of a thunderstorm this afternoon. Storms are more likely tonight. They could be strong to severe. The high today, 97. The low tonight, 70. Not as hot tomorrow, the chance of a morning shower. Otherwise, partially sunny. The high at 88. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 92
4: degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports.
1: Welcome back Big Dune Sports. Matt Justin, and Justin Lars on your steamy Friday. Thank you for dialing us in. Mick Gillespie will be around at the bottom of the hour. But, of course, the topic has always, all week long, has been the Southeastern Conference, the coaches, the players, everybody in attendance there in Nashville. Um, we will have a few awards or opinions to pass out. But first, just to let you know, the SEC media voted Georgia the most likely, the preseason SEC champion. They, of course, would come out of the East. Alabama would come out of the West. That's the selection there. This is the first time any team other than Alabama has been selected by the media since 2015. Let that soak in. Is it the changing of the guard? I've got comment on that because I don't really think I'm totally sold on that. I think maybe Georgia is at least even. But we'll talk about that in a moment. But you got Alabama coming out of the West, you got Georgia coming out of the East, and they to meet in the SEC championship game. And the pundits, 181 of the 291 that cast their ballots, say that Georgia is going to repeat as the SEC champion. Do they go on and three-peat? That's a little further down the road. But um, all in all, I just kept thinking as I would sit on my couch and I would watch Media Days, how much easier it is to do that as an old man as opposed to running from room to room to room to telephone over here, trying to get a guest, line that up. It's a little easier to just sit there with your remote, Lars. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I
2: think it's uh, important if you are, you know, covering games day in and day out to go to SEC media days, uh, not just to get a feel for the different storylines on the different teams, but also, uh, as mentioned, to just, uh, you know, go and reestablish relationships with the uh, team personnel, with sports information directors, and with your uh, fellow reporters. One thing that stuck out to me are two things about the preseason media poll. In in the West, it certainly sounded based on the the few people I talked to who are covering that, uh, who are in Nashville, I I thought LSU was going to receive more first place votes than Alabama, and uh, that was not the case. Alabama received 160. Uh, 165 first place votes, and uh, LSU had 117. And then in the East, uh, Matt, how is this possible? Vanderbilt received eight first place votes. Eight. Uh, th- uh, that tells you that no, that just you know yeah, it, well. it just tells you that some you know some people obviously aren't taking this seriously. And, and I get it; it doesn't mean anything. Um the, But the, just
1: the, then, don't vote. Yeah, you know, I know. I, I, it just—I it, find it—it
2: it, it. It belittles the whole process, and it just—it—it's uh, just, you know, nonsense for somebody to to do that. But, um you know, you know
1: should it be like the coaches' poll, and all of the uh, ballots should be named? Yeah, seriously, I don't think it is. Yeah. Is it?
2: No, yeah. no.
1: I'm not even uh, sure there's a place
2: on the ballot for your name. It's a secret. It's Yeah, it's done. I mean, you know, again, it's nothing very important. um, But uh, certainly uh, that was uh, Vanderbilt was the outlier uh, in this media poll. Uh, They are picked to finish last in the East, but they get eight votes to win the division. uh, And five of those eight, five also picked Vanderbilt to win the SEC. Now, let's let's review here. Vanderbilt has not had a winning season since 2013, and they have never played in the SEC title game, yet they got as many votes to win the conference as Tennessee did and as many votes to win the league as Arkansas, Auburn, and Texas, and Texas A&M combined. So, clearly, there's there were eight media members that just uh, wanted to, again, I, I don't know, I'm guessing that they're very young and don't take their job very seriously, but uh, it, it really just makes a mockery of the whole thing. And um, if if uh, the SEC did know who this was, I doubt that they would be receiving... A vote next year for one, and it, it maybe even maybe even more severe because that's just you know it,
1: it, it's just no good for for anyone. But that's disrespectful, all right. yeah. Uh, you know, there was a group of them that all probably went to Vanderbilt. It was in Nashville. They thought it'd be funny. Maybe somebody walked in off the street and grabbed eight ballots and then filled them out. I don't know, but uh and this is nothing against you, Lars, but I, th- I think we've probably done the entire process. <laughs> An injustice, but talking about these goofballs for so long. Yeah, and that's on that's on me. So, So, um, but but other observations. Sorry, go ahead.
2: I was going to say observations from you. Well, uh, let's just go through the players uh, who are first team All SEC. Uh, No surprise at quarterback, uh, Jaden Daniels. um, Running backs are uh, the Judkins kid out of Ole Miss and, and Rocket Sanders out of Arkansas. I, and I think Rocket Sanders is a terrific player. Uh, wide receivers, uh, Malik Neighbors, LSU, Ladd McConkey, Phil McConkey's son, uh, out of Georgia, tight end, no shocker there, Brock Boyers. Uh, on the offensive line, you have J.C. Latham from Alabama, uh, Amarius Mims from Georgia, Tate Ratledge from Georgia, Will Campbell from LSU, and Cedric Van Praan from Georgia. So... Alabama only has one player on the preseason, according to the media, preseason first-team ballot here, first-team preseason. Uh, I I can't remember when there were so few on offense. Can you,
1: Matt? Me either. I really can't. Of course, we've been used to Heisman Trophy winners back there. Um, you got Bryce. You had um, Devontae a few years ago. I mean, and always Alabama has an offensive lineman. I don't. I couldn't tell you the last time they did not. But they've got a huge one in Latham. But um, no. I'd be, be willing to the bet. The numbers I, for Alabama are low on defense, too. I say only two, but usually they have three or four.
2: Yeah. Uh, and all of the players on the defense come from three teams, LSU, Georgia, and Alabama. I'll just run through them real quick. Uh, Defensive lineman uh, Wingo from LSU, uh, Mikhail Williams from Georgia, uh, Mason Smith, LSU, uh, and uh, Kid Stackhouse from Georgia. And then at linebacker, Alabama's Dallas Turner, LSU's Harold Perkins, Georgia's Jamone Dumas Johnson. And then in the defensive backfield, you got Kool-Aid from Alabama, uh, Maliki Starks from Georgia, Lasseter from Georgia, Javon Bullard from Georgia. So Georgia absolutely is dominant on defense with one, two, three, four, five, six players, wow. and uh, yeah, wow. six players on six players on defense and one, two, three, four, five on offense. So eleven of the twenty-two players <laughs> on first team All SEC. Are playing in Athens,
1: you know, I got to so, do a quick recall here, but I'm not sure I remember Alabama ever having that many. I, I don't remember that either.
2: I will say this: I, 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 think at season's end, I will be shocked if Alabama only has one first-team All-Conference player on offense. I, I think they're going to have multiple. Um, but okay, so big picture takeaways, uh, and i i I'll, I'll start here. And then we'll start with Alabama. Uh, I think J.C. Latham. I think J.C. Latham did a really good job at SEC Media Days, and it certainly felt like he has the pulse of the Alabama locker room. And it's very clear that the Alabama locker room, the Alabama players, feel disrespected. I mean, even though this is a team, they're going to start in the preseason top five. Um, I'm sure some in the media are going to pick them to win the national title. Uh, I think uh, uh, Kirk Herbstreit came out and uh, said that he really yeah. likes he really likes Alabama and he thinks uh, Alabama is a great shot to win the uh, to win the national title. But uh, you know, and then uh, J.C. Latham he he went he went all Joe Namath on us and. He said, I know we're gonna win it all. National Championship, undefeated, Joe Moore Award. I want that also. And the Joe Moore Award, uh, for those who don't know, goes to the nation's top offensive lineman, uh, offensive uh, as a group, as a whole. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll see how accurate that is. But I just, I think that's true. And I also think that, uh, as mentioned, The fact that Nick Saban didn't have a overall big pointed message uh, to the power brokers in college football about NIL or transfer portal, he didn't have a message that was not so subtly delivered to his team, shows me that he likes his team. He likes where they are. He likes the, the concentration, the focus, the energy everything that he's all the reports he's getting back from summer conditioning he likes it and i think he really really likes uh, just where the team is at matt
1: other observations from here are that in general it wasn't very interesting media days i mean saban didn't go on a little rant uh, nobody had anything just outlandish to say um Nobody really even went to the NIL and transfer portal uh, very much, um, so it, you know I, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I, I think that uh, my award for being able to stay up there for twelve minutes and really not say anything goes to Kirby Smart. Um, overuse of the word complacent. Sorry, I'm not a Kirby Smart hater. I just I think he's a brilliant coach. He learned from the best ever, um, and now he's at his level. But um, he didn't grab a hold of the situations off the field like uh, many of us wish he had. Um, when asked about his team, he's, now he's trying to ban them all together. He's not boasting about him. He's just trying to say we're going to take it one game at a time, which is exactly what he should be doing. But um, I think that he, if, if there was a winner as, as far as just – my observations, Lars, I would say it was Hugh Freeze. Yes. Um, I just yes. think that uh, his humility was so evident and genuine. And um, I, I felt it, you know, even through the TV. But um, I think he did a really, really good job. And other than that, as I said, it was kind of uneventful.
2: Yeah. And um, I'll, I'll get. Into more of that in a second, but uh, about Hugh Freeze, it, it, it's clear that in the past he has sometimes lacked self-awareness. Right, like he tweeted out he dared anyone to challenge Old Misses compliance of NCAA rules, uh, and you remember at, when he was at Liberty. He did uh, send an unprompted late night direct message to a former Liberty student involved in a Title IX lawsuit against the university. Um, Gosh, and then Freeze, uh, just right after he spoke at SEC Media Days, he's tweeting at somebody who's got like 35 followers on Twitter. I mean, just get, get off social media, Hugh Freeze. Please, get off social media. Other than that, I think his words came across extremely well. He was humble. He was transparent. And he was even realistic heading into year one at Auburn. I'll never forget when Gus Malzahn proclaimed that quarterback Jeremy Johnson, and this was at SEC Media Days, was going to win the Heisman Trophy. Oh, boy. Yeah, and that he was going to be as good or if not better than Cam Newton. And you just, you can't do that to a kid. I'm not saying that, Hugh, that that Gus Malzahn ruined Jeremy Johnson, but to put the expectations of that on him entering his first season as a starter was not fair. Hugh Freeze did none of that. Um, you know, he said that he's not used to having so many unknowns heading into uh, fall camp. Uh, He talked about uh, all of the uh, post-spring transfers, including Peyton Thorne, who I still think is going to win the starting job at Auburn. I I, I can't imagine him not doing that, but it seems like everyone we talked to, Matt, they are all saying Robbie Ashford. I'm sticking with Peyton Thorne. Anyway, um, but again, I I think he, uh, Hugh, is uh, he just came off as, as humble, as, as someone who, uh, from the last time he was uh, at the podium in SEC Media Day six years ago to now, he seems like a really a, a fundamentally changed person. Um, and on the transparency front, he said, look, I'm not gonna be the primary play caller. It's my offense, but we're gonna have new terminology and the play calling's gonna go to Philip Montgomery. And that leads me to probably the most disappointing coach at SEC Media Days. I hate to say it because I, I do personally like him, but that was Jimbo Fisher. I mean, Jimbo just, uh, he just was incapable of, of, of telling us who was going to call the plays. Uh, and he was not, you know, if he had just come out and said, Bobby Petrino's calling the plays and I'm taking a step back to focus on big picture things, conversation would have ended right there. Instead, we listened to Jimbo uh, continue to muddy the waters on what in the hell the a and offense is going to look like with Bobby Petrino, who seems, seemingly has been at 35 schools by now, with Bobby Petrino on board, will be pro-style, uh, that we've seen under Fisher, or you know, Petrino, he loves the four wide spread. So, and those are two massively different offenses. So, um, we'll see. He was just coy, and I, you know, there's no reason to be coy. Just you know, I, I, I say, you know, if if I were him, I said those those questions need to be directed and Bobby Petrino. And, oh, guess what? Bobby Petrino's not going to be available to talk to anyone. Oh, by
1: the way, that's just a (laughs) cop-out. Ask him. Well, by the way, he's not here. I need to put this in my story today. Ah. Uh, I want to ask you a question about SEC coaches along with our next guest, Mick Gillespie, as you listen to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sensing, Union Own Mortgage. If you finish the
2: That's 205-792-1813.
3: Let Haley help you.
2: NLMS number 230376. Hey, this
3: is Reagan, owner of RR Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 27036th Street, across from the home two suites. Come down to RR and see why we're the ultimate Cigar and Bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktail around and our cigar selection is legendary our lounge and service are world class come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned
4: cigar and spirits destination from t-town to the plains this is alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. this is big noon sports
1: Big news sports. Matt Flores, Justin, and we're joined now by the Mick Man, Mick Gillespie. Mick, where are you, and how hot is it where you are?
5: Uh, what do you say, guys? It's not too bad up here in uh, East Tennessee. Um, I guess it could be a lot worse where you're at, and if I was home right now, but uh, in, in the um, in the Smoky Mountains, yeah, it's pretty pretty comfortable today.
2: Nice nice uh, mick did you get a chance to uh catch a little of sec media days i'm sure uh you you you've, you've followed it somewhat um just any big picture thoughts on on the four days of uh all the teams coming through nashville
5: yeah i went up there i, I saw uh ryan fowler who's on um your flagship yeah. station while i was there and and i uh, got a chance to uh hang out a little bit on, uh, in the media area. I, it, I think it's a, it's an event that Nashville wasn't ready for. I don't know if you guys have heard, but they, they had construction all around the hotel. I wish they would have just left it at the Winfrey, you know, where it was perfect. You know, you could get free parking and there was food around there and you didn't have construction and, uh, hotels were a lot easier to find and more affordable, you know, but, uh, now we're going to Dallas. Um, I, I'll tell you, my thoughts on it are if they don't have if – if the head coaches aren't going to stop and do the local radio, then the local radio stations are wasting their time even covering it. You know, it used to be where, you know, the, the coaches would stop by and, and all, the, all the stations that represent these towns that the schools are in and cover these teams um, on a, you know, day-to-day basis deserve to be treated – With a a lot more respect than what this thing's turned into, and and it you know when your head coach only wants to do the SEC network and maybe one other big conglomerate, then um, I think that why even do it? You know why why you could do they could go to to um, you know Charlotte and do that. Um, So I hope that it doesn't go in that direction. But you know with some of the schools, it kind of felt like that to me, Um, and uh, and I didn't like that because it's. It's all it's all what we do that fuels the love of this game, you know all the all the talking about it and coverage and everything else that the, these schools get. I hope they don't forget that uh, that you know shows like this are really important and I, and I honestly, I kind of felt like it was more about the SEC network than anything well, now on the other side of it. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, guys. I mean, what do
2: you Oh, saying? I just wanted to follow up real quick. Don't you think a true test of all of this is going to be next year in Dallas when media, a lot of us, wouldn't be able just to drive there, I mean, unless you want to go on a suicide mission, but <laughs> wouldn't when when you, I mean, most people would fly, and that obviously requires a bigger investment from your company, and I'm guessing the amount of media that will be covering the SEC media days next year will be far lower than this year. Would you agree with that? Because I agree with everything you are saying a hundred percent, Mick.
1: Yeah, look,
5: I mean, I, okay. Two, two edged sword here. Um, the, the one side of it, I totally get you. You're, you're adding Texas and you're adding Oklahoma and it's the first time that they're going to be in this conference So you you put it closer to them so that, you know, as they make this transition, you know, a lot of those stations that this would be a really far trip for can go and check it out. Um, But on the other edge, I agree. You know, it's like I I don't know if I was the, you know, the owner of a station or even what I do, if it would make sense to go out there, Um, especially when, you know, you're going to really restrict access to players and coaches, especially coaches you know, it's not like these coaches go on shows anyway, you know? So the one place you would get them is the at these, uh, sec media days. And I, I, just feel like that, that the whole thing's built around their interest, which is the sec network. And, um, you know, they're getting all this free coverage from everyone else. And it's like, look, I mean, you know, it's not like the sec network's pulling in a huge rating. um, they do okay, but you know what? These other stations really matter, and, and maybe it would be telling if if a lot of stations did just that, Lars, and said, you know what? I'm not doing this this year. You guys, you guys want to have it all the way out in Texas? It's probably going to be worse than it was this year as far as hotels and the price of everything, and, uh, you know, we'll just stay at home.
1: Well, you got to have a sales staff that can go sell it in order to make money to send your teams there. I would predict that there will be less than 1,000. What were there this year, 1250, something like that? A a lot of the people that attend are are smaller media outlets, i.e. radio stations in Alabama, and they've been able to drive to these and scrape together enough to make it work, but not in Dallas. And, guys, I'll do a deep dive here. It's not just SEC media days. The media is looked down upon. In some cases, it's actually, uh, you know, there's good, with good reason. But in most cases, not. But coaches don't do radio shows. They they don't do Radio Row at the SEC. But Nick's never been on our show and probably never will. Um, But, you know, back in the day, I could get Gene Stallings on. Even Ray Perkins, guys like that would come on your show. They just don't do it anymore. And I think a, a lot of this uh, can be attributed to the fact that we've got a dot com claiming to be a media outlet on every corner. And they're just so, there's too many. And uh, they show up, they pop up. And um, I think social media has a little bit to do with this, but also just the relationships in general between coaches and players, too. I remember talking to Christian Miller, Lars, when we were doing our show, and he was a part of it. He didn't like the media. And and I think this has been set forth from coaches to others, and then what they've experienced. Nobody seems to like the media anymore, much less respect them, Mick. Uh, I I do think you're absolutely spot on with the SEC observation, but I think that... uh, this lack of respect for some of the small, smaller media outlets is is worldwide, well, at least. It US might be. Lot.
5: Well, you know what we, we loved about Mike Leach is that Mike Leach never became a guy who was too big to do the local radio. You know, he always had time to talk. Um, uh, he wasn't too important. You know, he didn't take himself so seriously. And um, and, and he had fun in these interviews. You know, like uh, <laughs> you didn't know what you were ever going to hear from him. And I think that's why uh, so many of us miss him and and, and loved what he represented. You know, uh, I, I totally disagree with him on playoff, but you know what? I love listening to his opinion. It's fun to debate it. Uh, I agree, though. You're right. There's a lot of outlets, and you know, the tough part is being the the SID when you've got a you know you've got a coach or a player, and, and, and an outlet says to you. You know, we'd love to have the guy on, and you say five minutes, and then they keep the guy ten minutes, and he's got to go somewhere else and go somewhere else. But you know what? That's just part of the deal. Um, talking about head coaches, uh, you know, one of the conversations that I had with Ryan Fowler was about Coach Philip Fulmer and how he came on my show when I was at the you – know, I was at Alabama. It was the the, the pregame show at WVUA Radio, and he's the only he's the only head coach that came on. He came on and did my show, and I, I went a little long, and um, he yelled at me. But I learned a lesson, and you know what? I appreciate him for coming on, and forget about all the, you know, the the, the the love hate that you know or hate hate that we have for when he was head coach and things that happened there. At least he took the time to come on. And Ryan had a very similar story, you know, where he asked him a question that he didn't like, and you know, uh, but he came on a show, and 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 I just I, I hate to see the you know, all of these people putting all their time and effort to go up there, and you know, and it's like they have to struggle to find gas. Shouldn't be that way,
2: Mick. What did you think of uh, what Nick Saban really didn't have to say? You know, no, no direct messages to anyone about uh, NIL. Uh, didn't have any underlying message to his team, or at least so it appeared. Uh, it was really of, of all the sixteen talks that he has given at uh, SEC Media Days, I would say that this one was uh, by far the the blandest, uh, most vanilla of them all. Which, of course, was by design, right? And but what what yeah. was the what was the meaning behind that design? I don't
5: know. I mean, I guess he really didn't have much
2: to say. I mean, uh, <laughs> I I, that? Yeah,
5: I I, I, w- I know. I mean, like it was kind of. Like you said, it was pretty boring. Um, I liked what he said about Tommy Reese. I got the most out of that. Yeah. Um, I, I really... I, look, no offense to anyone else. I don't care what kind of cake he eats. I, I, I don't... I want to hear about football. I, I want to hear about the team. I want to know about coordinators. And, um, and I would have loved to have heard his opinion on um, NIL. Uh, I think that... Um, honestly I think that the some of the stuff that Shannon Terry has said about college football needing to get a grip on the whole NIL thing before it's too late it's really important and it's something that I heard Lane Kiffin talk about on one of his interviews and um, if if they don't I don't know that the result's going to be what's best for college football you know so him not talking about that I mean I he, he's Always kind of been one of the big voices when it comes to trying to prevent the game from going the wrong direction, but uh that's obviously not where his head was this time.
1: Mick Gillespie, you gonna hang with us till one o'clock? Can you do that, please? Yeah, let's do All it. Good. All right. Uh Mick Gillespie is with us. Our segments concerning Alabama football and Alabama sports are being brought to you by Laurel Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker Advantage Realty Group. Back with more Mick in a moment.
0: Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Partially sunny with a chance of a thunderstorm this afternoon. Storms are more likely tonight. They could be strong to severe. The high today, 97. The low tonight, 70. Not as hot tomorrow, the chance of a morning shower. Otherwise, partially sunny. The high at 88. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9.
4: It's 93 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the plains. This is Alabama's most in depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. It's indeed
1: Big Noon Sports. And our guest is Mick Gillespie. Calling baseball tonight in uh, Knoxville? Is that where you are? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, Good deal. Love baseball. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but um, first, this is the most important question, and I, I didn't ask you initially, and that's my bad. Will you go see the Barbie movie?
5: <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I haven't decided that yet, but I do like all of the people that are doing the, the Barbie Instagram picture.
1: Lars, are you going to go see Barbie or Oppenheimer?
2: well if it was up to me i would just i would go see oppenheimer i'm hearing that it's absolutely incredible but uh my daughters have not yet been to a movie so i if it's if it's appropriate for six-year-old girls I, i'll take them to that
1: i actually think some of the clips i've seen look pretty entertaining to even adults so um we we will see um and what I was throwing out there as a joke ended up being a halfway serious conversation. Sorry about that. Mick, let's get back to your interview presented by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. Um, Mick, we have commented, and Lars and I have both voiced our opinion, that uh, Hugh Freeze may have won, if there's, you know, how we phrase that. Uh, I just thought his humility and his, uh, Lars used a great word, his transparency, that he displayed was really refreshing yeah look
5: I, he's a good head coach i mean this isn't brian harston it's going out and and recruiting two and three star players and thinking he's going to compete in the sec this is a guy who's done it before he beat alabama he had a successful program at old miss he didn't get fired for a track record out on the field he got fired for things that happened uh you know off the field so uh, you know, I thought he did a good job. You know what I liked about his speech is that he didn't talk very long. <laughs> you see the breakdown of who went the longest and who went the shortest? Some of the best speeches in the history of our country are short. And you, you get your point across and then, you know, you your opening and move on.
2: The shortest speech of all time, according to Bartlett's, was the great Muhammad Ali. I think he was speaking at uh, Harvard commencement. And he's done with his uh formal remarks and he's about ready to walk off the stage and students are yelling uh give us a give us a speech champ give us a speech and he <laughs> leans into the microphone and says me we and he walks off <laughs> so <laughs>
0: yeah
2: that that is a brief speech or a brief poem sorry the brief- shortest poem according to Bartlett's anyway uh, massive digression there um I will so, Barbie. You should you of the
1: <laughs> uh, Okay, so
2: of the 22 players that the media picked to be first team All-SEC, 11 were Georgia. Mick, can you remember a time when one team had 11 players, uh, even all the great Alabama teams, 11 players named first string preseason uh, All-SEC? And does that just underscore what – you know what we've been talking about is that Georgia is just on a little bit different plane than Alabama right now.
5: Uh you know Lars, I, I don't. I just think that um, Georgia has the the easy schedule this year. You know, and look, Alabama's got great players too. That they have five stars. Uh, you know, last year the reason that Alabama didn't get to play Georgia, which I think they would have won the football game, and I said that on you know Bam Insider last year and. Georgia caught a break that Alabama didn't play. Um, they've only beaten Alabama once in a long time. So it's not like they're dominating anyone and the two, two teams go head-to-head for players and it's not like Georgia dominates there. Where Georgia dominates is that they're playing a weak schedule and Alabama's playing a really difficult schedule. And that's just the way that the schedule breaks down. After this year, it's not going to be that way anymore. And, and Alabama's had some years like that too in the past where they've where they played some easy schedules. It just hasn't been uh, recently, but um I, I just don't think that Georgia's pulled that far ahead of Alabama. Uh, and I'm sorry to say that to Georgia fans, but Alabama was one of the four best teams in the country last year. I agree with Nick Saban saying that. I said it last year. They lost two games on the last play. I know they had a lot of close games, too. But um when you look at the teams that were there, Alabama would have been favored against all of them but Georgia. So I, I just don't think that, that – Georgia's that far ahead of Alabama. With that said, they're going to be in the college football playoff. Uh, They only have a chance on that schedule to lose one game, in my opinion, and that's Tennessee, and they're not going to lose that one. So they're going to be undefeated going into the SEC championship game, Um, and Alabama might not be there. I mean, they've got a tough schedule. There's a lot of games that they could possibly lose. But if you flip schedules, Alabama would be the team that was undefeated, and Georgia would be the team we weren't sure about.
1: I agree with you. Uh, These people that suddenly want to not just pass, they just want to throw the torch to Athens, Georgia. (laughs) I I think you're doing this way too fast. Uh, Nick Saban's recruiting hasn't gone down. Uh, The one thing that Nick Saban is not really in his control has to deal with that I think a lot of coaches don't, and and Kirby Smart isn't dealing with it at all because his entire staff is coming back. Coach Saban's got to, he's got to juggle in every offseason. And find yeah. new coaches. And and, and, and he's got to find coaches that can recruit. Now, well, is, there can be great X's and O's guys, but you've got to have somebody <laughs> that can walk in to the backyard there at LSU, Brian Kelly, walking into Baton Rouge and get a player. Um, and I, I think that that uh, – I don't know if that's disruptive to the way, the way they play on the field. Uh, I know it can't be positive year to year when you're changing your coordinator's but I'm with you hundred percent. I'm not just ready because they've won back to back to say Georgia's the new Alabama. Is that what you well, are follow I, I gotta, up with?
5: Well, I want to say this. I mean, you, you bring up a point <laughs> and this is a criticism of Nick Saban and I I don't do this often uh, because my aunt used to live in Aliceville and I criticized him for leaving Tua in too long and she told me you never criticize Nick Saban. So <laughs> so I, I'm gonna say this and, and and I'm I'm just gonna tell you. In my opinion, you have to have balance in life. You can't work all the time and not take care of your family and not be at home. And that's how it used to be. And, you know, a lot of these good coaches are going to places like Clemson and Georgia where they have a little bit more balance with that and sticking around instead of being somewhere where you work and work and work and work. and And you're burnt out by the end of the year. You know, it's it, 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 it kind of along the same lines I remember when Lane Kiffin left. And the one thing he said was that, you know, Alabama practices so hard that they would get into the playoffs and, you know, postseason and the guys would be tired and it'd be from practice. You know, and you got to kind of let you got to take your foot off the gas. And that's that's true in any sport, you know, where it, like towards the end of the season, you're going to be tired and you got to manage that. Um, the Alabama, the, the situation with the assistant coaches leaving, and some of that is because they're so good and they're moving on to get head coaching jobs. Uh, but some of it's that they that they hold hours like no other program. They work harder than anyone else, and um, and and I'm sure those guys look at it and go, you know what? I go to Clemson, and I'm not I don't have to sleep at the facility. But if I'm at Alabama, you know, um, I do. You know, so that. And I, and I and look, the guy's at the end of his career. I don't know how long he's going to stay. I hope he stays a long time. I don't know that he's really going to change that, but he's always been great at making adjustments. And if it meant to keep some of these great coaches and recruiters a little bit longer and have more stability in that department in the program, I think that it would be really beneficial, just my opinion.
2: You know, I, I should have known this statistic earlier, but uh, at age 71, Nick Saban is now the oldest coach in the history of the SEC. Um, <laughs> is that surprising? Did, did you know that statistic? And, and no. is, that su- is that surprising to you? I mean, look, from afar, and even though I've written a book on on Bear Bryant, boy, when he retired, he sure as heck looked a lot older than 71.
5: Well, yeah, and I'm sure Bear Bryant probably instead of little Debbies was was probably working on you know maybe uh, the, the hard stuff you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what, but I know I know one I knew one of his, I one of his nurses. Onions. I know I knew one of his nurses though. And apparently, he liked to drink, and I do too. So I'm not criticizing him. But um, Nick Saban doesn't even look seventy. I mean, like yeah. you know, he, yes, he, he looked, looked young. he looked
2: really good. He looked really good. Yeah,
5: I don't get the feel. Uh, all of that. Age is one of those things where we all kind of age differently. You know, like um I was like when I was 21, I got carded until I was like 25. I still do. I just, I, but I, when Lars I was 14, still I looked card. 10. Yeah, Lars, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I, I went to school with uh, J.P. Shadrick, who's the, one of the broadcasters with the Jaguars. He's younger than me by probably five years. And he looks like he's like 40, you know, like 40 years he, he honestly looks 15 to 20 years older than he really is. I, you know, and that's just the way life is for him. Um, and so, I mean, like that's, I used to bet people they couldn't get his age and win. Hmm. Why is it like that? I don't know. That's the
1: way it is. Do y'all think Nick Saban uses Botox? <laughs> <laughs> no,
5: not, no. I don't I think don't. so. I don't think I don't so
1: either. I
2: don't think that. I just think
5: uh, he's it's really an odd topic. And, I, he, I think he, he colors everything his hair. By the book. Yeah.
1: He might. Mind- <laughs> yeah. Well, that's nothing wrong with that. This is probably the only time he's ever gotten in his car and hit this button. And actually, this is the first. His <laughs> exposure is the first to this, to big news sports, is us talking about <laughs> Botox and here Botox and here color. But, uh, anyway. Hey, Mick, you're the best. How can people follow you? Uh, check me out,
5: uh, Mick the Broadcaster, uh, Twitter and Facebook. Um, you can watch me on the MLB app tonight um, with the Smokies taking on the uh, Mississippi Braves. If you're an Atlanta Braves fan, check me out. And then um, we'll be doing a lot of college football stuff coming up here soon. So we'll talk about that in the weeks to come.
1: Hey, awesome thanks stuff. a lot, Mick. Thanks, you, Mick. See you next time. Have a, have time. a great weekend. You will. Um, there's Mick. Uh, as we approach the top of the hour, Big Noon Sports. This interview was sponsored by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. Next hour, let's mow them down. Let's line up the phone calls, whether or not you're going to go see Barbie or whether or not Nick. No, nah, we're not doing that. We will take serious calls and fun calls. The other side of this break, please load up the phones, 205-342-9904.
3: It's one o'clock on big Noon Sports.
2: Call Haley on her cell. Yes, her cell. 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376.
1: <gasps> Uptown square media station.
0: WTUG HD2 Northport. And W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app.
4: More Big Noon Sports coming up.
1: Big Noon Sports being presented by Haley Sensing, Union Home Mortgage. Thank you, Haley. Hope you have a great weekend. Hope all of you have a great weekend. Opening up the phones to discuss SEC media, we can go into the open as well. And it, I'll even take take questions on whether or not you're going to go see Barbie or Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Uh, our number is two zero five three four two nine nine zero four. On uh, on back to the SEC here, Lars. Um, I want to go back to what we were discussing with Mick. If twelve hundred is an accurate number of media that attended in Nashville, what do you think it'll be in Dallas?
2: Mm, maybe 750 800 I don't know it, it just depends because you're gonna get every single outlet in the state of Texas uh that will be there um and uh, I, I just don't know if, say uh Tennessee up, up in Nashville like how many how many reporters are are is uh you know, the, the, or, or, sorry, Knoxville. Uh, how many porters is, what is it, the Knoxville Sun uh, going to send? News or, Sentinel. Or, I'm sorry. News, yeah, I should know that. Jeez. Um, yeah. I, I, so I, I think it's going to be greatly diminished. I really do because uh, when it was in Birmingham, it's a centralized location. When it was in Atlanta, it was a centralized location. Uh, in Nashville, uh, centralized location. Dallas is not, and um, I personally uh, have never made the drive to Dallas from from Birmingham. I know that uh, some people have, and it's not overly taxing, I guess. No, it, but,
1: it, it no, it isn't.
2: But um, yeah, I, and, I, and I think outlets will realize. That there's just not a ton of value in, in sending more than one or two p pe- one person really, um, and especially if you are a smaller outlet. However, we but the SEC who, who the SEC considers legitimate media for uh, this for the SEC media days. It's, it's far different uh, interpretation than what you and I would have, right? <clears throat> Essentially, anybody who applies gets a credential. So I, I think it will be under 1,000 for the first time in probably over a decade. That's my guess. What's your guess?
1: Well, uh, I, I th- 900, but then, you know, you make a really good point. I mean, Texas, Dallas, Media Center. Um, there are a lot of people that will attend this that didn't go to Nashville. Uh, because that's their media area, Oklahoma and, and Texas. And there'll be a lot of people there. But it's just going to be quite difficult to afford for smaller outlets. And, and I guess that's true if you're in Dallas and it was in Birmingham. Small media outlets probably didn't come to Birmingham because it wasn't cost-effective. But uh, we'll see. Uh, but they the did vote. Is, yeah, sorry, yeah. Matt. I was just going to say, you can
2: get almost it's not the same as being there but you can just the sec network covers it so thoroughly and they get one-on-ones with uh anyone they want and uh, their reporters there are really good the interviews are really good uh and it's almost like you you don't need to go uh you know jay and i when we were doing the show together in year one um, it was over in Atlanta, I believe, and uh, in, in or it may even been here in Hoover. I, I, I don't remember, but I remember Jay and I having a long talk about is it worth for us to to go out there for four days? And uh, we ultimately decided it, it wasn't because it's just uh, it's a circus. You can't get one on ones with the player or with the coaches that you really want. It is helpful, however if you go there as a reporter really without an agenda and you just listen, right? You just listen uh, to all the different players and of course ask questions when when it's warranted, but just to get a sense again uh, of storylines, of potential story ideas, It's it's a great place to generate story ideas because you can get those from not just talking to players and coaches, but also uh, to uh, SIDs. I I don't think enough reporters, frankly, talk to SIDs and have real conversations with them and and ask them, "Hey, not like the old days. Who has that that was
1: your key? Remember? Yeah.
2: who, Who? Yeah. Absolutely. And I still do that. You know, because hey, even if it's the backup. Uh, or third string uh, left tackle, if he's got an interesting backstory, like, you know, he he was a firefighter and saved a kid's life or something, you know, who knows? I'm just throwing that out there. Um, Those stories are, are the ones that the SIDs know about, but really no one else does. And so it's good to have good working relationships with SIDs, sports information directors, and also because they ultimately are the gatekeepers uh, for whether or not you can you know, get in and, and have one-on-ones with different players and coaches. So again, I think it's, it's really good for relationship building. It's good for story, idea, generation. But it's not good to uh, – not good for trying to be different, trying to be creative and trying to have a different story coming out of there than everyone else. So I've just – I'm not a big – I'm not a fan of the big you know, group press conferences because you just – the more reporters there are there, I think the less you're gonna learn. I've always, uh, I've, been, I've been fortunate where I'm writing for outlets that you know have enough readers that I can get one-on-ones and, and have real conversations. Instead of interviews, I want the, the time that I have with whoever I'm talking to to feel like a conversation. And that means you have to give a little bit of yourself and maybe reveal like a a vulnerability or something that you've been through that relates to this person's life. And then that just gets them, you know, it gets the person that you're talking to sort of calm down and they view you not as a reporter, but another human being. And just uh, the best interviews become just uh, talks between two human beings, not a subject and a questioner, just a talk. And that's impossible to achieve at the SEC Media Days.
1: They did vote though, and 181 of the ballots turned in of the 291 had Georgia winning it all. And it's the first selection other than Alabama since 2015. And uh, I'm not sure I agree with it. I think I might have gone with Alabama. (coughs) Call me a homer if that's what you want to. Homer, 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 Uh, Homer. Homer, Homer, Georgia. Homer Jones, remember <laughs> him? God, what a great! Religion. You would have, you would have gone Georgia. Yeah, you know, two-time, 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 defending national champion, a
2: quarterback who's very skilled, uh, at least very he hasn't highly played touted. As
1: much as uh, to, he's as highly Buckner. touted, Buckner's you, highly would, touted. I mean,
2: would you take? I, would you? Hey, whoa, 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 whoa! You're telling me you take Buckner over Carson Beck?
1: I, where did you hear that? <laughs> hey, no, I said he I had know, more I, experience. Than I'm Beck. just, I'm just asking. Listen, who, listen who to me, Homer. You, okay,
2: <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the Homer here. Who would you take right now? Just because I pick Alabama makes me a Homer? No. Ho, no ho, who would you take right now, Beck, or Tyler
1: Buckner, Beck? All but right. That doesn't mean, but, but that doesn't mean <laughs> he's going to come on and, and look like Bryce Young.
2: <laughs> okay. Let's say Alabama and, and Alabama and Georgia meet in the SEC Championship just based on and and there have been no injuries. Who would you say has the more talented roster?
1: Oh. Well, I guess you kind of gotta look at what the SEC media did. They have eleven of twenty-two <laughs> offense and defense coming from Georgia. So uh, I would probably have to say that Georgia has more talent. I do think Alabama has the edge in
2: coaching. Uh, no question. Uh, Kirby's really, really good. No, no doubt about that. Um, Is he better than Nick Saban? No. No, that's why I said yeah. like Alabama yeah. would have the edge in coaching. Yeah. Alabama would have the edge yeah. in, in prep. I still think you know, especially if if Saban had an extra week. There is there, there isn't that extra week between the final uh, regular season game and the SEC championship game. I don't believe. I don't think there is. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I I'm, I'm I I hate to say it, but you know, two time defending national champions. And they've been a recruiting machine. Alabama's been a recruiting machine as well. I, I, I'm not saying that the the difference between Georgia, in my view, and Alabama, is, is the gap is not wide at all. It's probably two or three key plays. And most likely, the team that turns the ball over the fewer times wins the game. <laughs> you know what uh, I think, Lars? And, and uh, And I think it was Coach Sabin that said this the other day that every turnover they, they calculated is worth uh, 4.8 points or 4.3, uh, that uh, meaning you are going to either be losing that amount of points if you give the ball away or you'll be gaining that amount of points ultimately if you get the ball away. So uh, from the other team, it all comes down just to very simple things, right? keep the ball away from the other team.
1: Yes, and when they do get it, stop them. I think that between Wednesday and Friday, you got a phone call from one Hamilton McWhorter. He said, hey, meet me at Bob's. (laughs) And he convinced you to become a big bulldog guy. <laughs> I'm not a big bulldog guy.
2: I'm a guy know, that just uh, looks. It's a good at, discussion,
1: though, well, Lars. It is, a, it is a
2: good discussion. And, and
1: I want to get into this deeper because I have a really, really important question to ask you about 11 preseason picks versus three. Uh, deep dive into recruiting and after on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage.
3: Fish- hey, this is Reagan, owner of RR Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the home two suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide
0: 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Partially sunny with a chance of a thunderstorm this afternoon. Storms are more likely tonight. They could be strong to severe. The high today, 97. The low tonight, 70. Not as hot tomorrow, the chance of a morning shower. Otherwise, partially sunny. The high at 88. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 93 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
4: This is Big Noon Sports with Lars, Matt, and Christian.
1: Christian. (laughs) You heard that too, huh? You know what happens is that's... They're so... The technical end of our business is... It overwhelms me when it used to challenge me and I understood it. But for those listening, Christian does a show with his dad before us now. He was a part of this show. And we we appreciated that very much. But occasionally things pop up from the past. I remember, if I can do a quick... I remember when I was doing TV... I cut a promo when my daughter, Jennifer, was maybe a year old, and she's in her little Christmas shirt, and I'm in my little Christmas sweater and whatever, and I'm holding her, and I said, Merry Christmas from my family to yours, and she's just, you know, she's sitting there like a one-year-old, I mean, what does she know, but anyway, it was a good little promo, we did it for all of our families. And uh, we were sitting in the newsroom one day. It was in the middle of July. And suddenly, up on the screen, pops that promo. So it happens, you know? It's just a technical <laughs> snafu. But in the middle of July, no, no less, there I am in a Christmas sweater um, for a brief moment for that
2: promo. There was uh, right. one, one time I... I was doing an interview on CNN, and they sent, uh, you know, a camera and a sound guy to my house. I was living over in Cahaba Heights at the time, and it was live. And I didn't realize this, but it's also live on CNN International. And this is when I had my dog, Frenchie, who you loved very much. Uh, rest Good in dog. peace, Frenchie. But in the middle of the interview, Frenchie barked. And Frenchie had a very loud bark, and one of my friends, uh, Sarah Ford, she is a producer for NBC, and she just happened to be in the airport in Shanghai, watching the interview, Uh-oh. and she heard the bark. So I was—I joked about Frenchie. She literally can bark around
1: the world. Ah, very good. Ta da Oh. I want to get back to this deal in assessing the Alabama versus Georgia, if you will, on, off the field, coaching, players, all SEC preseason. Georgia, and I, I'm still trying to rack my brain. I've never heard of a team having 11 half the, the offense and defense. But Georgia has 11 preseason picks. Alabama has three. Now, over the last four years, that's a significant difference. Uh, amount of time to assess recruiting classes? Has Alabama had one ranked 33rd? No. Both Alabama and Georgia during the period that's significant to this discussion have had either one, two, or three. Is that right? I think so, yes. So, h- how how has it become... How have they separated so much? Is Georgia developing their players more? Um, is Alabama just... Uh, it's just as simple as going... To the depth chart, and the next guy steps up, and he's all SEC. But why is it eleven to three, Lars?
2: For whatever reason, uh, some of the players that Alabama has uh, has signed, it just hasn't worked out. I remember the the Brockermeyer twins. Uh, I, I thought that they were going to be. You know staples on the offensive line for three years, uh, and then go off to the NFL. And uh, I know that one of the Brock Meyers, um, uh transferred back to—I uh, forget—to the state of Texas somewhere. Um, and uh, and then uh, the uh, the other one is uh, playing in a backup role. You know, you, you just you don't know when you sign a kid when he's seventeen, what he's gonna look like as a player when he's twenty, uh, and uh, you, you just got to get him in your program. And uh, for whatever reason, Georgia is hitting on more players right now. I, you know, I, the 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 proof is sort of right in front of us. But that doesn't mean that Alabama is entirely, uh, you know, getting it wrong on the on the recruiting front. Um, you know, they're certainly hitting at, at quarterback. And, and, uh, and so we'll, we'll see. I mean, look, these preseason, uh, these preseason lists mean nothing, 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 nothing. And, uh, you know, who would have thought that Stetson Bennett was going to become a Hall of college football Hall of Fame quarterback? And that's exactly what he is, deservedly so. Um, you know, he's a, a walk-on who transferred, and then he transferred back in. <laughs> and uh, he wasn't that far away from probably never getting an opportunity. And once he got his opportunity, he clearly made the most of it and uh, hopefully now he can go on and have a have a good long career in the NFL, uh, maybe as a spot starter and, and as a backup. But um, it just shows you it's you don't always know what you're getting, and there's so many things that uh, that affect you when you're 18, you're away from home the first time. Uh, you, you realize that the academic load is much harder than it is in uh, high school. Um, you know, you may not know that many people. Um, I remember when I first got to college, uh, I went about eight, nine hours away from, from home to a small school in Minnesota called St. Olaf. And, and I was so homesick for two weeks. I, did, I wanted to go back so bad. But uh, then suddenly one day it felt like I was home in Minnesota. You know, it, it's crazy how that works. Uh, and, and most people go through that. But it's easy when – it's easy to get derailed in your first years of college. Wouldn't you agree, Matt? I mean, just because oh, so much is going so – there is so much change in your life. And it sometimes and, – and that has nothing to do with athletics. Um, and it, it actually it makes it harder with athletics. You know, I, I, I played soccer at St. Olaf, and it, it, I, you, got to, you had to be down uh, at the – you had to be on the field ready to go at 3 o'clock every day. So you had to take your classes early. You needed to get uh, to the facility by about 2. Uh, if, and if you needed to get, like, an ankle taped or, or whatever – yeah, but then we would go and practice from three to to six fifteen. Uh, you take a quick shower and you get up to uh, where, uh, like, uh, to the the calf. It was what we called it because we there's this one place on campus where all of us ate, and uh, it closes at seven. So you hustle up there and you eat. And then you get back to your dorm room, and it's 7:30, and you're so tired you can barely keep your eyes open, and you got five hours of studying to do. I mean, it, it's hard. It is hard to be a student athlete, and this is at a Division three school. <laughs> this is the schedule I'm talking about. Division three school. Uh, it is nothing compared to what these 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 kids are going through now. And I've had a front row seat uh, for many of uh, the Alabama players, uh, just who, who have uh, gone through my classes. And as I've mentioned many times, every single, basically every single one of them has been not just an outstanding student, but a but a class leader. And uh, but but the 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 larger point I'm trying to make is there's so many variables that go into whether or not you are going to be successful at the school you originally go to. And a, a great majority of those variables have nothing to do with your ability to perform between the lines. It has to do with so much other uh, other stuff that's going on in your life as an 18 year old and a 19 year old. Uh, I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? What, what do you remember when you went to college? Uh, just uh, how overwhelmed you were, or maybe you weren't.
1: Um, just, oh, uh, it was, just, it just what? What was it like? What was it like for you? A student athlete, and um, it was difficult. Um, I had a, a hard time uh, limiting my social experience. Well, that's the other
2: thing. Because, yeah, when you're 18 and you're away from home for the first time, what do you
1: do? You freaking go nuts. (laughs) Yeah. And some counselor, God, I wish I could find this guy. I'll say a quick story. When we were doing our pre-registration and we went to the University of Alabama and they kind of have this orientation, and in the process of that, it's several months before you actually go and live in Tuscaloosa, but they have what's called uh, placement testing. Is that what they did? Uh, anyway, uh, well, all my friends just took it and said that, well, I'm already enrolled. Who cares? Well, Matt tries hard. That's a son of a rocket scientist, so he's trying hard on this test. Well, I, I did very well. Next thing I knew, I had calculus at 8 o'clock in the morning, four days a week. Oh. I was taking Economics 101. Oh. I was taking all these upper-level courses when I probably should have, uh, you know, been taking a couple of easy ones. And I didn't do well. And that eight o'clock I, calculus class was just anyway. Yes. I'll never it forget is my, my, my the with.
2: first semester of my freshman year. I was just like you. I was so gung ho. I'm like, I am just. I'm going to be the I'm best. I'm going to be student. Mr.
1: Student. I'm, I'm going to be the best
2: student ever. And I took a seven o five a.m. American government class, and 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 political science is, is my thing, and uh, and and uh, Matt. <laughs> I love the professor, uh, and I found the material pretty easy. Um, but I, I – I, <laughs> put it this way. At the second half of the semester, I barely made it there. I, I still ended up somehow getting an A in the class, but wow. it, it, I wow. never – he yeah, he I just – you know what? The professor, he didn't uh, – He didn't factor in attendance. Uh, He should have. I mean, it was a small class. All my classes were small. It's a small school, maybe like 20 students. But I just, I I couldn't do it, you know, because my friends were, you know, they they didn't have athletics. Uh, I was the only one in my group that, you know, was playing uh, a a sport. And, um, man, I just died. I just died that first semester. You really... That's another thing that they should teach you in high school is time management and and what you need. And I I, I just think I wish there was more sort of college preparatory classes, not just on the academic material, but on life skills and what you're about to step into. Because I had no idea.
1: (laughs) I don't think a lot of us do. Some people are just prepared naturally. So Anyway, back to how we got into this. Back to what I wanted to say about Alabama, the Georgia thing, is the one thing, and I just mentioned it, the one thing that I, I find different is that Georgia's not having to go out and get coaches every year. Alabama is. I think that consistency, or in Alabama's case, the lack thereof, may be a reason why they have three preseason all sec selections and georgia has 11 but that's a good point that's a good
2: point i mean we've been saying for years is there a time is there a time in the future where this is finally going to catch up with nick saban having this yeah, and i'm not constant. saying it has but it yeah I, worth, i'm not worth, either because if, again if you, if you go back and really examine last season Alabama is just a couple of plays away from, you know, being in the SEC championship game and then really just sort of walking into the SEC or walking into the college football playoffs. And I, I think we, most of us can agree that if Alabama had played TCU, Alabama would have beat them by...
1: Yeah, three touchdowns. I don't know if it'd been as bad, but it would have been uh, no contest.
2: I think Alabama is this right? They would have been favored in every uh, over every
1: team in the uh, college football playoffs if it was on a neutral field. Sounds like that sounds like back in the day with Paul Bryant. Yeah, that's a good topic as well. Meanwhile, in New York, I have seen the worst football field ever. I don't know if y'all have seen it or not. I'll describe it to you and we'll talk about that the other side of this break with Big News Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. This should
4: get your sis.
2: Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker.
4: This is the Big Noon Sports Network.
1: Yeah, it is indeed. Big Noon Sports. Justin, Matt, and Lars. Appreciate you tuning us in. Saw this story actually Wednesday, I think. And um, since I wasn't in studio yesterday, uh, I missed the show. I don't know if y'all talked about this, but uh, it is gained a, a, a lot of, I guess, clicks, if you will, on the internet because Morrisville, um, S-U-N-Y, that's the State University of New York, right? Uh, their school in Morrisville, which is about halfway between Syracuse and Albany, has a D3 football team. And they have decided to go all black with the field color. It's black and white and run all over, but it's just amazingly, in my opinion, bad. Uh, and I know it's upstate New York, so it's not going to get real, real hot. But I just can't imagine playing when, when it gets real sunny, and you are wearing a black uniform, and you play on a black field. I think even in upstate New York, you'd probably get a little steamed. But and and just what about teams that do wear black uniforms? There, uh, will it be difficult to pick up? What about fumbles? It's a dark brown football on a, on a black surface. I, I heard you tapping away there, Lars. So I'm sure you've <laughs> looked at this. If you hadn't already, what do you think about Mooresville black surface?
2: Uh, I'll reserve judgment until I really see uh, guys playing on it. Uh, it is certainly unconventional. Uh, but you, you know, in recent years, you see a number of college football programs across, across the country are going against the grain by, you know, going with the odd uh, colors for its plain surface versus the traditional green grass or artificial turf. And, um, yeah, SUNY Mooresville, uh, Division Three. Uh, are going with uh, the all-black, and that includes uh, red lines for men's lacrosse, powder blue markings for women's lacrosse, lime green for soccer, uh, and uh, yellow designations for field hockey. Uh, And they said in the statement that the the field begins or signals a new beginning for Mustang Athletics. And uh, I believe this is the athletic director talking here. He said, uh, and his name is Graw Walk, last name. Uh, we wanted to move in a bold new direction that would give our department and student athletes a unique identity to rally around. And um, it, it's, uh, it's not terrible. It's not terrible. Um, so right now, SUNY Mooresville they join six other NCAA programs that have a non-traditional field color. Probably the most well-known is Boise State, right? The uh, their iconic blue. Yeah, at, there,
1: there's uh, a red one in Washington, I
4: think.
2: Yeah, Eastern Washington has a red surface at uh, Roose Field. Uh, Central Arkansas has uh, purple and gray at uh, Estes Stadium. Wait a minute. Uh, it's a purple field, purple and gray at Central Arkansas, uh, Eastern that's Michigan. Conway, by the way, Conway, Arkansas. Okay, I just happen to know well, that. Well, we that's need to. Where my to, parents uh, met. Ah, well, we should. Uh, well, I don't that know what to say Messiah. about that. Welcome yeah. to Conway, <laughs> home of Hendricks College.
1: <laughs> And Bob and Mary Osgove. Um, uh, w- w- wait a minute. Yeah. I-, I interrupted you and I apologize. What were the so, other ones? The purple uh, okay, and gray so, blew me away. Yeah.
2: Uh, Eastern Michigan has a gray surface, Coastal Carolina has a teal surface. And then uh, you go to like the Division Two, New Haven, they have a blue surface, and uh, Division Three, Luther College. Which is where I almost went. Do you know where Luther College is, by the way? Luther? Yeah. Well, they average uh, Their, their no. men's basketball team averages about 180 points a game. All they do is shoot threes. You think Nate Oates' offense is fun to watch. These guys are incredible. Uh, they All they do is shoot threes. That's a story for another day, however. It's in uh, Iowa. And uh, and it's a good school, uh, but they have a blue surface at, at, at their stadium. But black, black is taking it to another level. And uh, I'll again, I'll I'll reserve judgment, especially if you're wearing black uniforms. Yeah. Um. And they, <laughs> and what the AD was saying that it's going to give us a true home field experience and advantage. And uh, they're going to have a ribbon cutting ceremony here in a couple weeks. But uh, boy, you love? Ribbon, wouldn't you love if you have if if the school colors include black and you have black uniforms? Can you imagine uh, summer workouts?
1: No.
2: Yeah. Not nice. even without. Not even without you wearing your uniforms, but just summer workouts
1: on that field. And they, it's multi-purpose stadium, so um, they'll be hot summers that will be played on that black surface. So we'll soon see. But um, what would you do, Lars, if um, Nebraska had this huge announcement concerning the upcoming football season and you will only be able to find out what it is if you buy a ticket and you go to the first game and you walk through the portal there and the field is Nebraska red with white markings? What are you going to do? Uh, turn around and walk out. <laughs> do you no, think what, you'd have 80,000 of your best friends doing the same thing? No, no. Um,
2: what? Nebraska just put in a new service, right? Uh, a new field turf. And by the way, field turf was developed at Nebraska. I've said it many times. Uh, yeah, the, the first team with field turf that everybody has other than uh, – Alabama and a few other schools. But there have been a lot of studies that show that there simply are fewer injuries on natural grass than even on field turf. And and so Matt Rule, I think he, he is getting what he wants at Nebraska and they are going to replace the field turf with grass. Nebraska hasn't had grass since I've been alive. It was AstroTurf before, um but, but as long as I can ever remember, so at least since the I was born in 71 and there was it was Astroturf back then. But I, I, I think that what what Matt Rule is doing is going to, uh, it, it's not that Matt Rule is starting a trend, but uh, there's just the, the evidence is just mounted that we can say without hesitation fewer injuries occur on natural grass so therefore why is anybody messing with this uh artificial turf or uh, field turf that has little pellets of old tires ground
1: up in it doesn't it smell good
2: doesn't? no and,
1: and it and with you when you hit it those things flick back up in your eye yeah, um, That's not a good thing. And, but, uh, and
4: I, what bothers they...
1: me, Lars, about the surfaces now is that so many high schools are going to it. Yeah. And I think you're probably a little bit more prone to injury when you're a little bit younger. Yes. Um, but uh, in many cases, that's because they can either afford it or they can't afford not to. Because uh, the upkeep of regular grass from year to year to year month to month to month, week to week, is is very high. You put this stuff do, in, and you're pretty much done. Do you and gone, think?
2: So. Do you think within a decade, uh, every major university and every NFL team will be playing on
1: grass? Oh wow! That's a good question. Um, no, I think, there'll, there'll I think be a couple be. that there'll be a couple that probably hold out. Um, but I uh, I think that's the area that you're you're headed. Uh, well, yeah. Play, the, plus, play, plus play on when God's you, when green grass. You, when you have
2: grass, you know, if, if you're playing a faster team, if you know that the guys coming into your building are faster, what do you do? Water. You don't cut the grass. Yep. <laughs> you, you play in long grass because that mitigates speed a little bit, a little bit. Um, so, and I, I know both teams have to play in the long grass, but I, it, it hurts the team that is actually faster uh, more than than the other. Um, you see that a lot.
1: You know, guys. Yeah, maybe, when they first started, yeah. This go, stuff. hey, Justin, go ahead. Go ahead, Justin. <laughs> maybe
2: we're moving towards a a tennis like future for football. You got turf and grass, and we're gonna have <laughs> clay and <laughs> concrete. <laughs> what
1: if you just played in dirt like you did when you were a kid? Yeah, uh, I mean yeah, the old AstroTurf yeah. the
2: old AstroTurf was basically like concrete it was asphalt I
1: mean, yeah that it was, that was t- but it was fast man I remember when Tennessee who used to have that unbelievable track program and then the track guys like Willie Galt would also play football uh, at turf Willie Galt was like a bullet um, but it was just it looked like painted felt like painted asphalt um and it didn't last as long, I think, in the South as maybe as it did other places. But uh, I sure as heck, a couple of times I was roughing around on it, and it hurt. Of course, the ground hurts, too. All right, when we get back, uh, got to talk about the British Open and something that my new hero, Billy Horschel, did yesterday. You're listening to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage.
3: Hey, this is Reagan, owner of r r Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the home two suites. Come down to r r and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide 100.9,
0: Tuscaloosa weather. Partially sunny with a chance of a thunderstorm this afternoon. Storms are more likely tonight. They could be strong to severe. The high today, 97. The low tonight, 70. Not as hot tomorrow, the chance of a morning shower. Otherwise, partially sunny. The high at 88. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9.
4: It's 92 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports.
1: Hey, wrapping up the show, wrapping up the hour, wrapping up the week, in fact. Hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful weekend, in fact. And uh, please remember how hot it is for your plants, but more importantly, like your pets and the elderly. Check on everybody, okay? Let's play nice. Let's be nice. Billy Horschel, playing yesterday at the Open, and I believe it was on 17. And here comes one of those idiot protesters for JSO, Just Stop Oil. Uh, These people protested Wimbledon, the Ashes, a couple of other large events in Britain uh, in the past couple of days to just, you know, past couple of weeks. You know, they want attention, and here I am giving it to them. But Herschel was going to have none of it, and he went over there and helped escort this young woman off of the golf course. Um, What do you think they should do to people like this? Because they are intentionally breaking the law. They know it. They're also doing it to give their particular cause a lot of publicity, which, again, parenthetically, I'll note, I'm doing, and I'm, I don't like doing it, but it is an interesting topic. Should there be, um, uh, if you are representing a cause, uh, can you put somebody in jail for a longer period of time than somebody that just tried to streak?
2: Uh, I mean, I, I do think they should be arrested, and booked, and then have to be uh, bailed out, and then face a judge uh, for trespassing, and uh, you know there could be uh, other charges as well. Um, basically, you just uh, you, you make it difficult for them because once you get thrown into the legal system, um, it's uh, it, it is uh, it's costly, it's time consuming. It's, uh, you know, all, all sorts of things that you don't want to deal with. And, uh, and and I think they, you know, they, they should be – they shouldn't just be escorted off the premises, right? They, they should be arrested. Absolutely,
1: and, they should. And, this woman and, actually threw some type of orange substance on the putting green. Now, yeah. there I think you could go even deeper and do, you know, some kind of destruction of property. But it did lead me to think, Lars. Uh, it's very difficult to police a golf tournament. I mean, you're just outside the rope. You want to make a mess of something, you could do it pretty easily. I'm certainly not encouraging anyone, but you, you yeah. see what I mean. At yeah. least on a basketball court or maybe like a football field, you'd have to jump over something in order to do it. But I just I yeah, and if, you, to if think you did golf, would be easy to disrupt. Now that
2: I think about it, like if you had a, a pretty big group of people working with you uh you could probably get away pretty easily you know you you just slide back into the crowd uh before security can run you down because if if you're a young person uh 90 of those marshals aren't going to catch you (laughs) it's going to require you're right uh, they're volunteers like i would be but um, I, I did want to hit one more note about the British Open that we have not talked about today. And uh, it, it, we, we did mention Justin Thomas, and this has to do with Justin Thomas. So uh, this week in, in, uh, in England, uh, Justin's roommate has been Zach Johnson. Now, this is important because guess who the captain of the Ryder Cup team is for the United States uh, that will play against uh, Europe in Italy later this summer. That is one Zach Johnson, and he is the one that uh, decides on the six captain choices to be on the Ryder Cup team. All right, so this brings us to Justin Thompson. Uh, he was hoping to make Zach, jo- Zach Johnson's job easy this week with a good performance at the British Open, uh, but you know what, Justin? Again, opening round plus eleven, uh, shot even par uh, the, today, and he's already announced that he's playing uh, in next week's uh, next week's tournament. Uh, I think it's in Minnesota. Um, because he needs to, <laughs> he needs to get things righted. But here's here are the facts about JT. And I and, and my son Lincoln, by the way, loves Justin Thompson. And he's like, ah, oh, Justin Thompson's over the hill. I'm like, Lincoln, Justin Tom or Justin Thomas? Excuse me. Gosh, I can't believe I said that. Justin Thomas. He's like, Justin Thomas is over the hill. I'm like, no, 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 no. He's struggling. We all struggle at times in golf and in life, and he's struggling in golf. Um, but he's missed the cut in uh, for the third time in the majors. And Zach Johnson was asked about JT yesterday, and he said he's concerned. He's concerned about uh, JT, who not that long ago was a number one player in the world, and, uh, and and the Ryder Cup is coming up. It's uh, like I said, it's going to be played just outside of Rome. September 29 to October 1 and um, and but this this you know the struggles have been ongoing for Justin Thomas uh, he posted an 11 over 81 in the second round at the U.S. Open last month at Los Angeles Country Club he missed the cut there his 36 hole total was uh, 14 over and and so Zach Johnson, he's got to do what he thinks is right. But then you look at Justin Thomas, who's won two majors. You look at what he's done in previous Ryder Cup appearances. His record is 6-2-1. and one. And then you look at what he's done in President's Cups. And again, that's uh, uh, also where you're going basically one-on-one against another guy or you have a teammate. He's 10-3-2 in President, president Cups. But right now, uh, Johnson, he, or, or I'm sorry, uh, Justin Thomas, he's he's 20th in the world. Uh, he came into the week 75th in the FedEx uh, Cup point standings, and he's in danger of missing the playoffs for the first time in his career. He's 13th in Ryder Cup points, and it's the top six that get the automatic qualifier, and then it's the other six that is up to Zach uh, Zach Johnson. Um, and then, yeah, so on Friday, uh, today, after he missed the cut, he, uh, he quickly joined the field for the 3M Open at, uh, at the TPC Twin Cities in, in Blaine, Minnesota, uh, this weekend. And, and, and Justin was asked about it, and he said, Hey, I want to make the Ryder Cup more than anything. I'm probably trying too hard to do it. It reminds me a lot of my first or second year on the tour. I tried so hard to make that team for the first time. I'm in a, I'm in a similar uh, position. I've been trying to make it easy on Zach and get in the top six, but I'm, I, I, I seem to not want to do that with my golf. I have a couple events left to try to get in the playoffs and then make a little bit of a run and try to prove a point. And so that's... Uh, yeah, I, I would hate it if, if Justin doesn't play in, in the Ryder Cup because you know how important the Ryder Cup, Matt, is to uh, to uh, golfers, uh, not just American golfers, but also European golfers.
1: You know, with all the money and all the trophies that can just win on the regular tour, uh, I'm not really surprised, but I'm very impressed at how golfers like Justin Thomas and Dustin Johnson and others, how seriously and personally they take the Ryder Cup, and I'm glad that they do. I mean, you remember Kiowa? Golly, um, they played the Ryder Cup there, and the, and the events, the, the the places that they play are always stunning and very challenging. And um, you know, they even uh, would you say they even trash talk a little bit? Oh yeah, on the course and off the course. Yeah. I remember that's oh, where I grew. up. Remember years. the American? Uh,
2: what was that a celebration that was like? It, we our team suddenly became
1: the ugly Americans. Uh, they went crazy on the 18th grade Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think Justin Leonard made a putt or something. It was I Justin Leonard that. made. He hit
2: like a 60 footer or something, yeah. and
1: and it just and, and the celebration
2: was, was a little. It was a little yes, over the top. It was
1: over the top. But uh, I remember. Uh, I remember this is when I kind of first developed uh a, a distaste for Colin Montgomery because he took it serious too.
2: Yeah, he did. We're
1: gonna beat them damn Yanks. You remember when he said that? Yep. We're gonna whip those Yanks butts. Uh, and that happens, man. And that's it's so competitive that uh, it's really, really a, a, a whole lot of fun. Hey, Lars,
2: you, you got any big, uh, big plans this weekend, Matt?
1: I need to get my oil changed. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know how I can top that one. I want to go. I haven't seen my grandkids in a while. They've been on vacation. So that's always special. What about you? Uh, No, just going to take it easy. And uh, you want to come with me and watch them change my oil?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now, that's the top of the list, man. (laughs)
1: That's that's the best offer I got. You can find (laughs) something better to do. They'll watch him change my oil. All right. Hey, I uh, want to thank Larley Thompson, new sponsor to the show, and then also our sponsor, uh, our title sponsor, I would call, it, and that's uh, Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage, and also Reagan R&R Cigars. Yeah,
2: Reagan with the R&R Cigars is uh, with us, uh, and uh, hopefully during the college football season, we're gonna have Reagan in and uh, make some picks, and uh, okay, blast. we'll have. We'll have some fun uh, going against him, and and uh, I was just in uh, an R and yesterday, and it's a great place. It's a great place. Uh, it's it's fun to just to hang out. They got uh, televisions, really comfortable couches. It's it's uh, it it is uh, unique, and uh, it's always one of my uh, go-to stops in Tuscaloosa.
1: It's a great selection of bourbons too, which is uh, not late. That's uh, that's one of my guilty pleasures. Hey, we got to wrap this up. Y'all have a great weekend, Lars, and I will be back Monday at noon with Big Noon Sport. Be safe, everybody.
5: If you fish the Friday
1: night.